We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to take some of your questions. We haven't had a mailbag episode as of yet this year. So let's get right into it. Uh, first question comes from uh, Great Great Western Forum. Uh, asks, as nice as it's been to see the Lakers thrive in microball lineups, as discussed in the Blueprint episode, didn't we see this movie already with Houston and Russ in the 1920 season? What would the Lakers have to do to avoid the same fate getting schemed out of the playoffs? Mike, this was something that when, you know, I've been ranting about style of play and this big change that we're going through... Earlier in the year, we talked about this over text, that idea of, hey, what if the 1920 Houston team that we beat in the second round had Anthony Davis? And that's essentially the argument for can a small team, like really how small are you if you've got Anthony Davis and LeBron James? You can never be too small, right? But uh, it's also a valid question. And that's really the crux of the, hey, this is great. This is fun. We're winning regular season games. Can we win in the playoffs this way? I'd love to know your opinion on that. I think we're all in uh, the process of learning that. But where, where are you on on that whole idea? No, I, th- I think that not just Anthony Davis, but LeBron James, too, are just completely make this team different from that Houston microball team. And that Houston team had an absolute ceiling because P.J. Tucker was their five, and he is not a rim protector at all. That is not what he does. In fact, they didn't have a rim protector, period. It was him. It was Covington at the four, who really is more like a three. Uh, and then it was Russ, Eric Gordon, and Harden. So they they only had one way to play, and they barely got past OKC. Remember that? They, it, they went to seven games in round one. So when you have Anthony Davis at the five, he is as good of a rim protector as any of your traditional bigs that you want to take out there, any of your traditional fives. And LeBron is an actual rim protector uh, when engaged uh, in that in that aspect, too. So I think that those are the two guys that make this a totally different argument than that microball team from Houston and why op- opposing lineups, opposing teams still, to me, haven't had an answer um, for when LeBron and AD are at the 4-5. Uh, Darius, I, I don't know if you what you think on that. No, so that's one part of this. And if that's the only part of this that we needed to discuss, I'd say, next question. 
But one of the reasons why that Houston team failed is because they had Russell Westbrook. And the Lakers, the team that ended up beating the Rockets, specifically schemed to neutralize Westbrook in ways that allowed them to also cover up the strengths of the rest of the team that made them a potential problem for the Lakers in the first place. And and, and so that's a TBD to me about how Russell Westbrook evolves or changes or how the schemes that the Lakers employ allow him to still thrive in ways that make him a positive and helpful player for longer stretches over the course of playoff games and playoff series that allow them to win and make it so that LeBron and AD matter to the level that we know that they can matter in the pursuit of a championship. So I'm not trying to be a wet blanket with this, but I'm also just like, hey, that Russell Westbrook guy, he was an important part of that equation in terms of what the Lakers did to neutralize the Rockets. And now that Russell Westbrook guy is on the Lakers. And so how do that plays out is something that I don't think we have a lot of answers to at this point, but I'm not ready to just paper over it by saying, Like, oh, well, this team doesn't compare to that team because of LeBron and AD. I think that that point's correct. I also think, though, we can't leave out that other part. Certainly. But if I could make the optimist's argument for why it's different is I think this is the key difference between being the second most important player on offense in particular, that idea of being – because when you're talking him being schemed out, it's on the offensive end, right? And so I would argue on this particular team – There are two things that work in favor of that not having ending in the same fate. Now, there are other things that are actually more in the role players that I'm like, I don't know if we have enough. But with respect to Russ, right now, with the lineups that we're playing right now, he Anthony Davis isn't even playing. And down the stretch of games, he's the third most important offensive player, with the second being Malik Monk. We have two separate two-man game actions, which is essentially what playoff basketball boils down to a lot of times is my two best dudes against your two best dudes on offense and everybody else is involved certainly on offense but it's cutting off of and reacting to the actions of your your two best players or those two threats i think the lebron ad two-man game and the lebron malik monk two-man game both have a great deal of potential in even in the playoffs now the thing with Monk, of course, is the other end of the floor. Is he able to get schemed off the floor on the other end because he's too small? That is a, a TBD. But with respect to Russ, down the stretch of games, he's a third or fourth option. And in the middle of the game, when it's a little bit looser, even in the playoffs, it's something that that combined with the fact that you can't really run two-man game with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They did a little bit, but you're really just going to switch that, their guards. And so that that as well as the combined size of the Lakers, you got to put a big guy ish on Russ, but you also got to put a big guy ish on LeBron and AD. All of those factors push me a little away from that. We're resigned to the same fate idea. Well, I think that the slotting idea is what's important here. And so I, 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 I wanted to sort of lob that question up there to you because I know that there are counters to it that work in the Lakers favor. I would argue too, Pete, that beyond two man game actions, playoff basketball also comes down to isolation play. Like mm-hmm. who is the best player? And can you stop the best player from either scoring himself? And if you can't, then you have to send help. And then you're playing four on three somewhere else on 
the court, right? And LeBron and AD, LeBron especially, but in the run to the championship in 2019-20, Anthony Davis was standing right next to LeBron as a peer in terms of this dude is an isolation monster. You cannot stop him, so you have to send send help, and it's creating all of these open shots for teammates. And so slotting Russ appropriately, even within the context of two-man game and isolation game, he might end up being option number four, right? Because yep. it's like LeBron AD two-man game. It's LeBron post-up. It's AD post-up. It's LeBron monk two-man game. And then it's, hey, Russ, go create something right and then somewhere in there as well is the transition game and what your system like and so there's a lot of stuff that that goes into the success of the lakers in the playoffs that might differentiate them from that rockets team all right our next question comes from Cheyenne. uh comparisons have been made between this team and the 2012-13 team especially in terms of forecasting this team's success do you think it's valid guys where do you stand on the uh the nine-year curse theory we go from the 0304 season which again is one of the more underrated they made the finals right but uh it was considered a disappointing season nine years later we get the uh mike brown slash d'antoni year with steve nash getting hurt and uh kobe getting Getting hurt at the end of the season. Now we find ourselves nine years later, Mike. Uh, what, what do you make of the uh, nine-year curse theory? I mean, the comparisons are pretty valid, I think. I'm not going to kick this one to the curb. And the first comparison is just required dominance of the best player, of Kobe and LeBron um, at that stage, and of sort of the new guy coming in, in the case of Dwight, in uh, this year it would be Russ. And that player needing to adjust to what the team had done before in the secondary star. Uh, you could you could draw the comparison between Powell and Anthony Davis. Certainly the one thing that that team had that really killed them, too, was that Steve Nash got hurt right away to start that season. But when we talk about that team, we always forget that they had figured it out, at least as the best degree that they could have. And they ripped off a, a really nice stretch after the All-Star break. Dwight Howard started actually screening and rolling, which is not something that he had wanted to do early in the season when he just wanted to post up. And that didn't fit uh, the way that they were playing. And he eventually started to do that. Nash was back for a little bit. Then Nash strained his hamstring late in the season and went out. And that was part of the, the reason why Kobe had to go absolutely or in his own mind, nuclear and playing 45 to 48 minutes every night. And if Kobe doesn't get hurt there, you know, I, I still I think that it would have been difficult for them to go through every round and get there. But like nobody wanted to play that team. You know, they were they really were um, still pretty good. And I think that's where this Laker team, uh, Darius, like if everything is optimized, they're still they still have a chance to win the title. They do like they do to me. They still have a chance to win, but it's going to be more difficult than I think that if you just looked at the roster to start the season and assume some degree of health uh, that it, it would have been. I actually want to go to Pete here because I'm very interested in hearing Pete's thoughts about this, the nine-year curse and the comparisons and 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 all of this because I'm actually lukewarm on these sort of comps, but but I'd love to hear what sure. <laughs> well, what you have to say here, Pete. I mean, let's hope let's hope not, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. There are certainly amusing comparisons. I, another aspect to it is the dissonance between the roster and the coach, especially once Mike D'Antoni came aboard. Now it's a little bit different. There are, I, 
I maybe this is just my eternal optimism, but I kind of view 2004 as this season's evil twin, which is not to say that this year will work out well. The the story's to be written, but that dissonance between Mike D'Antoni coaching a kind of slow-footed, bigger roster that I always laugh because Powell ended up shooting like 48% from three a couple years later with the Bulls and turned himself into a solid, you know, spot up threat. And that was the big drama of the season was like, and I remember we were horrified, like he's making Powell shoot threes. This is the right. (laughs) And then as the year went on, like Mike said, there was kind of this blending of Kobe's style of play because like at the end of the day that was a Kobe team similar to how this is a LeBron team and like D'Antoni has his offensive principles but Kobe was like look this is is what we do I've won multiple championships around here and so there was kind of a hybrid of those two things that I see happening this season but this year Vogel is adapting more than I think D'Antoni did or was asked to I think it was more of an ask on the players that season and this year I see Vogel starting to adjust and be like okay we're, we're gonna play this different style of play and is really embracing it along with the there were I don't know I felt like there were more bad vibes on that team like I know the beginning of this season has been frustrating yes. like right okay yeah you yes. can speak on that way better than I can like I ha- I haven't heard this team kind of snipping at each other in post game, and they've been very together, which is different from the mood of the fans on Twitter, of course. But that really matters, Mike. And I so I see a difference there. That from that from the start of that season, really, like it it did not take more than a couple of games for, and I think we're you know we're we're at the point now where we can name some of the names on it, yeah, uh, without you know like you know Steve Nash, who is one of the all time great teammates didn't particularly understand why Dwight Howard wasn't playing a certain way. And I think we all know how Kobe felt about, you know, the start of that season for Dwight. And that's part of why it was so great to see Dwight come back to the Lakers and really meaningfully contribute to a title. Right. So that, that had a happy ending eventually for the franchise, even if it didn't that season. So that was, that was a part of it. The coaching stuff was a part of it. The, the expectations, the injuries, all of that stuff, it was much darker um, whereas this year, I think everybody has been on the same page for the most part, and they they certainly get along. Um, it's just been a this morass of injuries and roster turnover and COVID and all of that stuff. That that and that's why I think Pete, where you say, and I said, let me, I just said you said, and then I said that doesn't make sense. You were talking about how there should still be some optimism, and I was I think saying the same thing without saying optimism and saying I still think they can win the title. So there there is still a story to be told from this team. And there just was a the bad juju feeling that that if you believe in that kind of thing, I don't think I do really. But I, I do. It's a, it's a thing, Mike. This is this is probably the biggest difference between you and I is is yeah. opinions <laughs> and perception of juju. I'm, I'm about- uh, not super spiritual in that way. Yeah. Let's Although take I a break. The basketball gods. Oh, anyway. yeah, let, let, let's talk about that. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get to more of your questions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wait, wait, wait. So we're back, but let me chime in here really quickly about that last question because, look, the Lakers didn't fire Frank Vogel five games into the season. There wasn't, it didn't start out with LeBron saying to a media member or in some sort of comment, I'm going to teach Russell Westbrook how to win. There wasn't a, (laughs) there wasn't a staged photo, Mike, of LeBron and Russ fake play fighting in the training room while while Frank Vogel laid on a training table because he had had knee replacement <laughs> surgery and was, oh, and was on pain right. meds the season yeah. before. So, look, that was Google a wild that, if you, that's Google right. that if you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. D'Antoni didn't start the season, even though we had just hired him because he was without a head coaching job and was like, I've needed, he was a former player, right? Played overseas. Uh, that's him and Kobe's dad knew each other. I think they played together. And, D'Antoni had, was just like, well, I'm going to get my knee scoped, right? I'm getting my knee done. And then the Lakers end up calling. So he misses the first few games. The, the Lakers are never The Bernie boring. Bickerstaff era was. Yes. <laughs> so look, like I'm all for all of the comps that you said, Pete, that were that are valid, right? And, and there is a certain amount of like, oh, we've sort of seen this story before. The flip side of that is, though, is that when you look back at that season, It really was maddening in terms of all of this stuff that sort of just hovered over the team. Dwight's free agency was hanging out there as well. And so he came back earlier from his back than he probably should have. That's why he's not setting the great screens and rolling to the basket. At least that's his, you know, his mm, side of the story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, well, Mike, too, remember. Mike, you got back problems. You you know. I I was there, okay? And, and I, you I don't. That that um, I'll, I'll I'll just I'll plead the fifth on that one. You you got you got you got my take for my tone. I will say too that remember Dwight played through a shoulder thing, like there was just so much stuff that was going on that se- season that that honestly this th- there is a general sense of like oh if there is any comparison it's like oh man there's just a lot that's gone wrong this year and can the Lakers recover from that. Where I diverge a little bit is like a lot has already happened to the Lakers and I've seen them sort of reset their course some in uh, the past few weeks that inspires me to believe that this group is going to figure it out in a way that the other group just sort of couldn't based off of how things went down with like a career altering injury. Tiny add on to this, just usually a team kind of has it figured out from the start and goes through and wins the title. Usually there are exceptions the other way, but it does happen when you have a certain type of roster with vets. Hey, they'll get it together and figure it out in the postseason. But you obviously want to be on the other side where like the 1920 Lakers, you just sort of click from the start and it goes through. This is a strange team in that it's part 
reigning champion in that the main two guys are still the main two guys, but the rest of, and we won that title just a little over a calendar year ago. And there's obviously the the big feeling within the team that, you know, AD went down. We we didn't have our guys to win the 2021 title. Kind of similar to Boston in 2009. They, side I note, mean, they were wrong. You, they were wrong. They were wrong. And speaking of, did you guys catch the game last night, the Celtics game? Oh, man, I saw some of the quotes after. <laughs> the, uh, Pete, you like the R.J. Barrett shot at the end? Oh, uh, it was just, I'm telling you, it, it doesn't, feel, doesn't feel like it because the beginning of this season really stunk. The last two, three weeks or so, there have been a ton of blessings from the basketball gods. I'm telling you, the, the juju the, is all over the place, Mike. The good spirits and for the Lakers, and that's just another one of them, is them blowing a 25-point lead and then Jason Tatum reminiscing about the past. Ah. Uh, uh. Anyway, so, so let's get to Anyhow, our next yeah, question because yeah, yeah. we got it. questions to it. answer. We got, yeah, yeah. Thank it. you. Yes. yes. Give me back on track. All yes. Right. <clears throat> All right. This guys, this one's going to be a, a whole pod, as we always say. Um, but let's get the the Cliff Notes version for now. A uh, number of people have asked about Kendrick Nunn. Uh, this one's from Xavier. Where are Nunn's minutes most likely to come from when he returns? Realistically, who could you take them from? This is tricky. The Lakers are good at guard and sort of like th- those backcourt positions. I think the most logical candidate is probably Bradley to a certain extent. I think the Lakers are going to have to carve out a 10th rotation spot from multiple players because right now they're only playing nine guys. And so carving out a 10th spot and saying, yep, we're going to shoehorn you in here for 25 minutes or so. And we're going to have to take eight minutes from this guy or 10 minutes from that guy and five minutes from these other guys and figure out the best way to give none a role that best suits him. But I don't really have a great answer here. Every player that's playing right now, I want them to continue to play. And so, especially in the backcourt, Monks look great. Reeves is playing well. Bradley has found his stride. I I think that he's been a positive contributor. Russ is Russ. He's going to play a ton of minutes, right? But I do think that that scaling back on some of those those guys' minutes could help them for the long term. And none does need to ramp up too. So I think we got to see what he's got to offer as well. There is definitely not an easy answer to this. And you can't even really look at the last game, you know, and say, well, all right, so Monk played 37, THC played 33, because Anthony Davis didn't play. So long term, once AD comes back, that that in its own right just takes more minutes away from the backcourt because you're gonna um you're gonna be having him on the floor. And I don't know if you have to make a choice, but in a way, Monk and Nunn are kind of duplicative. Pete has talked before about how there are some duplicative players on this team. That doesn't mean that they can't play together. But if they're both playing and your three, you know, your three guys that are going to get minutes no matter what are all playing a certain number of minutes, then how do you how do you have both Nunn and Monk out there and and you're just smaller in those wing spots? And now we're, we're kind of feeling like if you would have asked this question a week ago, even or maybe not a week ago, two weeks ago, then it would have been easier to give up some of Monk's minutes. Well, now we don't want to give up any of Monk's minutes based on what he's been doing. So. Then, well, how much how much does THC uh, really optimally play off the bench? How much maybe Trevor Ariza is one of the guys who we thought that his minutes were going to be a certain amount, but maybe you keep those lower. So I'm um, Austin Reeves. We're all very protective of and his minutes. But I do think that Reeves is the kind of guy where you don't have to play him big minutes. You can play him sort of key 
minutes uh, in in some aspects at least and keep his a little bit like Caruso like keeping his um keeping him healthy because he plays yeah. so hard you know yeah, he so plays like could, 15 minutes but he's in the closing lineup type yeah thing. yeah so right so so playing him him 15 instead of 25 and like and so then there's 10 minutes and then t so it's going to be a piece of all and, and the cheat code answer to this is that there will be knock on wood other injuries and there will be other guys that that are missing a little bit of time here and there and but the sense of you probably get from my rambling there, Pete, is that I don't have the automatic easy answer. Yeah, I'm. this is part of the reason why I thought we were going to go small is you just look at the guys that we signed and put on the team. It's like, where are the minutes going to come from? You, they only add up to 240. And between Russ, LeBron and AD, that's 105 or so with all of them playing 35-ish minutes. LeBron's at 37 right now. I view none – and Monk being duplicative, though, as an asset to the team in that I think a speed guard is really helpful next to either LeBron or Russ, but for different reasons. And so having 48 minutes of speed guard play, I would prioritize that over some of the other guys' minutes. And so the first place I'd probably look to take minutes from would be THT. Now, you're talking very different players, even though THT on the offensive end is more prone to being a guard, right? None is a speed guard. THT is a power guard. And then defensively, you're talking about a wing defender, at least in terms of the role on this team, versus a guard defender. So you're going to have to make up for the size elsewhere. But I would say between Monk, Bradley, and THT, that there's some, like ideally Monk's playing 24-ish type of minutes. I don't know. How do you guys feel about him in the 30? Like he's been hovering around that 30 mark. Obviously, a big part of it's due to injuries, but you know, he's been playing great. Is I'm of the mind that we need to have a backup plan to Monk that in case he's not playable in a playoff series due to his defense, that we got to have somebody in his stead. Let's take a real quick break, Darius, on the other end of it. Uh, come back and give me that answer. So Monk insurance, I'm all on board with that. I think every player needs mm-hmm. insurance, right? Superstars don't have insurance, but role players should. Yeah. Right. You go down a superstar, you just got to hope and pray your other superstars, if you have, if you're lucky enough to have them, step up their games. For role players, yeah, give me more. And then we'll figure it out after the fact. The interesting thing to me is that I'm still looking at trade possibilities. I don't want to get into that now because there is a whole trade deadline that's going to come up in like a month. And we'll talk more about that that stuff there. But there is a potential retrofitting of this roster that moves out one of the guards and finds more of a wing or forward that then appropriately slots the Carmelo Anthony's and Trevor Ariza's and thts of the world and if one or more of those guys isn't there and those guys get slotted into smaller but still significant roles then you potentially then have a backcourt opening with some minutes there to be filled and what you have are four higher minute players and then the potential to have three or four medium-sized players and or medium minute players and then one like small minute players that's maybe one or two shifts a game and then the emergency player right and so we don't need to get into all of those names now but 
I think that is a much better formula, Mike, because playoff basketball to me is who are your seven guys? And when you have seven guys, four of those are going to be high minute guys. And maybe even six of them are going to be higher minute guys. And the Lakers need to find those six guys. I think Monk can be one of those six guys, honestly. Well, I just I also think this ties into this concept of now that the Lakers have a pretty good idea of who they are and what they're supposed to be and how they're going to play. And Anthony Davis coming back will solidify that. Then you can tinker some with these guys more than perhaps it would be ideal for them to do. But it's kind of like, all right, KCP, Danny Green, you guys both, you know, it's not the same thing. But if one of you is in in crunch time, the other one's not, it's fine. Like, you know what to do there. We're going to use Caruso at a certain time. And this year, translate that to Monk uh, in, in certain times when he's hot or none, if he happens to be hot that game. But they know what they're going to do. Melo's minutes can be cut some, especially as he's a vet and therefore optimize um, what he does. And I, and I do think Bradley also, you could he's going to do what yeah. he does, whether it's 25 minutes or 15 minutes. And if there's maybe there's not a point guard that you really want somebody on the ball with in that sense. And then Bradley, you can cut his minutes even further. And, and play more of that style with Monk and Nunn together or with Reeves in there. So I I think that a lot of these problems, like Frank Vogel's answer to this, is that a lot of this stuff is just going to, it will figure itself out. Like this is, and we can't really predict it because it's going to change night to night, matchup to matchup, who's healthy and all that. So, but it's, I'll tell you this, it's a hell of a lot better than where the Lakers were a month ago. Uh, when yeah when they could barely yes, find a guy a, a body to even throw out there that wasn't going to get crushed and, and you're playing the rondo isaiah thomas backcourt together uh, at minnesota these are them good problems you talk about d they are they are good problems can be problems all of the same though and so i don't they're want better to bad m- problems yes no pe- <laughs> people ask me a lot like how are you doing and i say not bad and they say only not bad and i say not bad is better than not good mm. So that's where I'm at. It's like the Lakers are getting healthy. Thank you. Yes, sir. And along those lines, speaking of those good problems, Quest for 18 asks, where do you see AD fitting into this now new ultra small ball lineup with LeBron handling the ball and playing pick and roll with Monk and Russ and being utilized in the dunker spot in late game situations? Do you see him as another playmaker on the weak side or will it be more matchup specific? Again, those those good problems to have. I don't view us as being ultra small ball anymore once AD gets back. And the team that we're seeing right now, I think is intended to be 12, 15 minutes per game, kind of looking like this. But right now we got to do it for 48 because AD's not around. How do you see him slotting into this style of play? So I think the most important part for AD to sort of be looking at here is spacing principles. What are the spacing principles with this group? So I don't think AD has to change much in terms of his style of play, I think where he's standing on the court needs to adjust some and the types of actions they use to try to get him the ball and where they're trying to get him the ball and at what time and how frequently those dials are all going to be adjusted. But Pete, I see LeBron post up a fair amount. You know who else likes to post up? Anthony Davis. I see LeBron operating in sort of these delay sets at like the top of the key. And he's LeBron James. You think of him as like a great ball ball handler. Well, guess what? Anthony Davis can play at the top of the key and he can play in delay series. He can run handoff actions. He can then kick to the corner or kick to, to the wing and then go run a pick and roll 
right where he is passing and then going to set a screen and then rolling to get downhill on a side pick and roll action with an empty corner. There is all kinds of stuff that LeBron James is doing right now as the small ball center that totally work for Anthony Davis. And you know why? Because Anthony Davis is a freaking monster offensively and he could basically do anything on the court that you ask him to do. What I'm most interested in is can you get him to space to the corner more? When he picks, can you get him to pick and pop to outside the arc? These are all spacing principles things that I know you've been harping on a lot this season, Pete, but they're going to be super applicable now to Anthony Davis because these things work. And the Lakers are becoming more of a five-out team more often, but that doesn't mean they are always going to be a five-out team for every single possession because LeBron is often a guy who is inside and is down low. And all of this stuff still works, even with Russ in the dunker spot. AD can post strong side. You could put Russ weak side dunker spot. You can still run two-man action with LeBron and AD. There's so much that you can do. I'm not concerned about fitting Anthony Davis in. What I want to see, though, are these same spacing principles applied to the lineups that he's in when he comes back. At the risk of sounding far too simple and basic, I don't care. I just think Anthony Davis needs to come in and just play super hard and yep. wreck stuff. And if he's inside, if he's outside, whatever. Like If he comes in and is just aggressive and he gets to the rim and he isn't just settling for jumpers and he's realized, okay, LeBron took a lot of banging at the five for these spots. I'm now happy to come in and do so that it's much more to me about mindset uh, when AD comes back and and not that that stuff doesn't matter. It does. I'm just going to let you guys and the Laker coaches worry about that. And, and that's what that's what I'm going to be watching for. No, that's 100 percent, Mike, because the there's a speed and tempo and pop to how we're playing that had been absent in AD's game from time to time. It's not an all, all the time thing, but the lethargy and sluggishness is the antithesis to our style of play. And so AD coming in with that mindset, it's way more that than any scheme stuff. But to Darius's point, the spacing principles stuff is really important to me. And that's part of effort. Like to me, the mental aspect of effort is focus. And what that means is actually set the screen, make contact on your screens. AD has not been making contact on his screens for much of the year. When you like, don't linger in the mid range, relocate to the dunker spot or to one of the five out positions to maintain the integrity of the spacing of the broader thing. And so even if that playing hard, Mike, only means I'm going to relocate to the dunker spot rather than just watch this the rest of this possession from the elbow position where I got the ball initially, I'm going to maintain the integrity of the spacing. That falls under that idea of playing hard for me. And so that said, Darius is right. Like He's a monster. He can do anything he wants. And there's no one really more built to thrive on this style of play. This five out style D is not with our roster in particular is not predicated on, we're going to just hang out on the perimeter. We're crashing down. We want to send multiple attacks, every possession, whether it's drives, cuts. And if you overcommit into the paint, we've got Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony, guys like that, Austin Reeves, guys who can knock down open threes. And so 
that assault on the rim, AD is more equipped to do that than anyone because he's great at those one-footed floaters that are off balance. You know, driving. If he can get a big or a, a perimeter player out on the perimeter, he's such a, a wonderful ball handler that he can attack and get to the rim as well. Along with filling those dunker spot positions, being a ball screener, somebody who can assault the basket. But that's really what it's all about: is rather than taking those face-up sixteen-footers, let's put some more pressure on the rim with AD. And and so just to bridge all of that with what Mike was saying, there's a certain amount of acceptance that needs to happen with with AD. The acceptance of, all right, we're here now. This is the style of play that we're going to play. And there is no more, oh, let me text Rob about, hey, thanks, because you signed another center. And that means less minutes at at the five for me. Like, sorry, man. Like, you play 35 minutes a night. You might be lucky if five of those 35 minutes are with another traditional big man on on the floor right like you might be lucky if if you get that and that may only be against a handful of teams in the entire league right like okay you may get that against denver or against philly or against memphis right but you're not going to get that against so many of these other teams who do not have a big at all that requires the lakers or even puts it in the mind of the coaches that, well, this is a Dwight Howard night. And so there is no more like, oh, we're starting two bigs and 40% of your minutes are going to come at power forward or 30% of your minutes. Like, no, man, like it's going to be maybe, maybe 10% of your minutes are going to be there. And with acceptance, I think, comes that idea of, all right, well, this is my lot in life. It's time to go after it. It's time to go do it. To me, it's it's that bridging of the mindset and capability that has been there for stretches this year for AD, but not as much as it was in the championship season, which was a hallmark, I think, of how he played that year. And I also just, I want to be charitable for a second to Davis, because I did think that he started the season for the most part really well. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that he was trying to, like, the Lakers had yet to to really transition into some kind of cohesive team that knew what it was mm-hmm. doing. So yep. so Davis was having to make up for everything else. Yep. And and that isn't fair to any player. So I I think that whether it was physically or mentally, that was what was getting to AD less so than just like, oh, I'm not interested in this game tonight. Like 100% that, agree with this. You know yes. what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. so now that this is all established, I I actually I expect AD to come in and deliver. In that setting. And and I think that we should be optimistic about him and and like remember how good he is yeah. and not just say, oh, he's being like there were reasons why he was playing the way that he was also coming off of the championship year uh, in which he didn't have the offseason. So I just I like if I were sitting down next to AD and he were telling me from his perspective, I'd be nodding a lot more, yep. I think, than some people might have. I think that's spot on, Mike. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because he helped as as much as it didn't seem like we were maintaining in the first part of the season lebron was out for a, a huge stretch our role players several of them were out at the same time i know we had an easy schedule but being able to just win some games here and there the charlotte win we don't win that game without anthony dave we don't win many of those games that we did win even against bad teams as a new team that's riddled with injury that has no idea how to play together and so i'm really glad that you brought that up that because that 
he will be entering a completely different environment. Knock on wood, right? Who knows what? But we do seem like we're on our course. Can I just say to add on to that, Pete? I'm not going to be down on Anthony Davis, right? Right. Like there, there's plenty of there's plenty of other people around the league who you can be down on. I I suppose I'm not going to be down on on Anthony Davis or think like, oh, well, Anthony Davis, I can't. I, I, I can't trust him. Yeah, what a burden yes. to have Anthony Davis on your team, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's what I'm not going to do. So I'm get healthy soon. Big, yes, sir. Big fella. The Lakers will will need you and you're going to do it. I think in, in all ways, because I think what Mike was saying about him carrying a burden, I think that war on like I've seen him play with joy that's really what it comes down to for me is like I want to see him play with joy everything else will take care of itself and that's mindset that's all, all these things Mike that you're, you're spot on about that can I ask you a quick question just can with what LeBron has established at center can AD feast in different ways off of this like can he come back and think like all right well teams now have to worry about this thing with LeBron like how I how can that impact him in a in a positive way, do you think? The answer to that is a pod's worth of uh, answers. So let's cut it here. We are definitely going Another to address question this from question. at Mike Trudell. Yeah, <laughs> at Mike Trudell. Yeah, in a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate that. For next one. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for your questions. We always get to way less than I, I wish we could. Um, that We're hopefully going to do these a little more often now that I think the dust is starting to settle on this team. Everybody have a great weekend. We got Atlanta and Memphis, and then we are at the halfway point point of this season, believe it or not. We'll be back on Monday to talk about that and where we stand halfway through the season here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here's on the line. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. And shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. 
We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.